a little spontaneous. Somebody asked me after one Sunday, they said, how can I get a copy of that song she played during the offertory? It was just beautiful. So I said, well, I'll email her. So I emailed Cindy and said, uh, Cindy, where did, who, who wrote that song? She said, that's something I made up. So uh, thank you, Cindy. We've been preaching through the book of Romans this summer. And so just to recap, we're at the end. We're looking at Romans chapter 15. We will not get to 16, but I'll summarize it this way. Tell everybody, hey, and everybody with me says, hey. Now, there's really more than that in 16. There's some good stuff there, uh, but I want to end with chapter 15 and just kind of a recap. The first eight chapters of Romans, Paul does such a beautiful job of telling us all that God has done for us through Christ Jesus, lays out the plan of salvation, lets us know that without Christ, we are without hope. Then verses 9, 10, and 11, he really applies that to the Jewish believers and to those who were Jewish who were following the Old Testament and just made it applicable to them. Then chapters 12 and following is just really the so what. Okay, here's what God's done. Now so what? It's just so practical how it applies to our life. Chapter 14 and 15 deal so much with how we treat one another. And so this really has to do with how do we do church. How do we do church? We're not going to have services here next Sunday. So if you're in this area, where are you going to church? We've got church groups represented here. Next Sunday, you'll be back in your home church. How's that church going? And I think sometimes we even hear the word church, and we only think of a building that's on the corner of, well, where I grew up, it was the corner of Pierce Avenue and Vineville Avenue. It was where my church was. That's not the church. That's a building. Something can happen to the building. It hasn't affected the church. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. This was illustrated to me. I've shared this story before, but most of you weren't here, so I'm going to share it again. I was in the upstate of South Carolina speaking at a camp, and I got there too late for dinner, and so I was hungry. And I thought, I've got to go find something to eat. So a couple of guys got in the car with me. We went back. The only store I remember was a store on the corner of these crossroads had a banner that said, best hot dogs in town. And I remember reading that and thinking, I don't want a hot dog. But at this point, I was hungry enough I would have taken the hot dog. But the other thought that went through my mind was, there's not another store within five miles of here. One way to be the best hot dog in town is to be the only hot dog in town. <laughs> so I thought, I don't know how good their hot dogs are going to be. So I, I went to that store, and they were closed. But there was this man in overalls, just a good old farmer guy had stopped there for some reason and so I waved him over and I was going to ask him directions I knew that I was close to either Greenville South Carolina or Hendersonville North Carolina I just wasn't sure which one was closest so I asked him to come over and I said can you tell me how do I get to Greenville or Hendersonville which town is closest well he had this huge chaw of tobacco in his mouth and apparently he wasn't going to be able to give me directions without getting rid of that so he kind of spit that in my direction I'm still sitting in my car, but I'm sure some of it splashed on there. And here's what he said. He said, you want to go to Hendersonville? And he started pointing with his thumb. Never seen anybody point with their thumb before, but that's what he had his other fingers. But he used his thumb. He said, you're going to go down this road till you come to a church. And then I guess he sized me up as being maybe I didn't know what a church was. So he said, now, a church is a brick building with a steeple on the top. 
I thought, dude, you know, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. I can recognize a church. Brick building with a steeple on the top. For too many people, that's what church is. You go to church. Is church meeting today? Yes. You go somewhere. That's not church, folks. Church is us. The believers, the body of Christ, we are the church. And so Paul is very interested in making sure that these people that he's writing to, keep in mind, Paul wasn't in Rome. He was somewhere else writing to Rome. Never been there, but writing to believers. We believe the gospel spread to Rome from the day of Pentecost. There were people from Rome there in Acts chapter 2. They heard the gospel. They've gone back to Rome. They're telling people about Jesus. But problems were arising. You're going to hear about discord and disunity. And I realize this, a lot of this is just history because we don't struggle with that anymore in church. No, listen, this morning is real applicable to church. In fact, the problems they were having in the first century we have today. So Paul writes this letter to the church. See, the reality of your salvation is it should make a difference in your life. And one of the signs of maturity, one of the signs that you're growing as a believer is this one day you finally recognize and experience, you know what, the world doesn't revolve around me. It's not all about me. That's an evidence that you're growing up. Let me read the first few verses of Romans chapter 15. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but it was written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The first point is, our Lord set the example. Listen, Outside of just outright blatant sin. I don't believe there's anything else that squelches or stifles spiritual growth in the church more than disunity. More than the fact that this group doesn't get along with this group, or this group feels left out, or this group feels unloved, or this group feels that they're there, they're God's gift to the church, and everybody needs to meet their needs. I've even heard people say this. Now, be careful. I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm, just, I'm not going to that church anymore. Why not? Well, it's just not meeting my needs. And I wonder sometimes, where did we ever get the idea that it was all about you? You heard about the guy on the desert island. Finally, nobody on the island but him. Finally, a boat pulls up to save him. And he was showing him around the island before he was going to leave the island for the last time and showed him his house. And they said, well, what's that building over there? He said, oh, that's my church. That's where I go to church. They said, what's that building over there? He said, that's where I used to go. What is it about church that we somehow think it's all here to meet our needs? Here's what Paul says, we who are strong. And he's mentioned this same phrase back in chapter 14. What Paul's talking about is those of us who are walking with Christ, those of us who have trusted Christ and have been walking with God for a little while, we ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are weak. Ought to bear. Literally, we owe a debt. This is something we ought to to do. And Paul includes himself in this. He says we. He's not just saying, hey, this is something y'all ought to do. You need to get your act together. Paul says, no, this is something I need to do too. I need to, at times, remember where I came from. 
You see, if you're one of those that feels like, you know, I'm struggling bearing somebody else's weaknesses, maybe you need to remember there was a time when people had to struggle and bear your weakness. So what Paul is saying is, those of you who are beginning to put it together, you've walked with Christ long enough to know His goodness and understand the, the disciplines of, of what God's all about. Listen, now as people come to Christ, these new believers in our midst, we ought to bear their weaknesses. They're not able. They're just brand new believers. Maybe not even believers yet. They're just starting to come to church. They're starting to be incorporated into the fellowship. We ought to bear Help lift their burden is what it really means to bear one another's weaknesses. Now, I know as men, man, we like, you know, we will pick up the heaviest thing and never ask anybody for help. Well, that's not the picture Paul's given. Pictures give, Paul's given a picture of coming alongside of somebody and whatever is weighting them down, that we through our encouragement and prayers would help pick them up and not just please ourselves. The word please means to be agreeable because in a minute he's going to talk about the fact we need to be pleasing them. But it really starts with don't just please yourself. One of the signs of young children is it really is all about them. They don't think about other people. It's very rare if you have a three-year-old who thinks, you know, I need to let so-and-so use this toy. Unless it's one he wanted to get rid of anyway. It's rare. Now, I know some are that. You're blessed if you've got one of those kind of children, but... Take that now into the spiritual realm. Students, how, how ridiculous would it be for you to go this morning and pick your parents up from the nursery <laughs> and see them in there fighting over the blocks and the cars and the little, you know. And yet spiritually, that's what it really looks like. Maybe we're not physically in the nursery. But some folks need to grow up to the point where you realize, listen, if you've reached this place in your walk with Christ, there's people coming behind you. Help them. Leave an example they could follow, but reach back and help them grow in their faith as well. In fact, Jesus set that example. Don't just please yourself, but each should please his neighbor. Let me tell you what not to do. What not to do. First thing is, don't compromise the truth in doing that. I think there's some people that can hear this and think, okay, I just got to make sure everybody's happy. And one of the dangers of being a pastor or being a leader in the church is sometimes you can't make everybody happy. And that's very frustrating. But if it comes to this, do not compromise the truth to make everybody happy. Did Jesus do that? Do you realize that when Jesus preached, we're talking about Jesus. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know what? There were some people that walked away and didn't accept his message. Throughout the Gospels, he didn't change his message. He didn't chase after him and said, wait, let's make a deal. No, don't compromise the truth. Number two, don't indulge the weak. Don't just say, okay, then everything in the church is going to get dumbed down to this level. Number three, don't have the church being led by the weak. Recognize the fact they're new believers. And maybe they've been in the church for 25 years, but they're really still new believers. So be careful about putting those people in positions of leadership. Number four, don't leave them weak. One of the ways we help bear the burdens of the weak is we help them to grow. So that 25 years later, they've actually had a walk with Christ that is producing fruit. Let me add one that's not on the screen. Did we get all those on the screen? Bear one of those weaknesses. 
Here's another one. Don't talk about them. Here's what we do in church sometimes. We share prayer requests that is basically, we think, sanctified gossip. There's nothing sanctified about gossip. Don't get a committee together to talk about somebody. Can you believe she's doing that? Can you believe he said that? One of the ways we bear their weaknesses is help them not stay weak. But don't just make them a point of gossip in the church that you kind of pegged them and pointed them out and avoided them. And then look at our example. Even Christ did not please himself. What does Paul mean by that? If Christ did what felt comfortable to him, if Christ only thought about himself, then when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he wouldn't have prayed this prayer. Here's the prayer he prayed. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. In fact, you can see this throughout the Gospels. I'm just going to give you a few quick ones from the book of John. It may surprise you to even read that, that Jesus didn't seek his own pleasure. He actually gave his life up for others. He didn't consider himself more important than others, but became a servant. John chapter 4, verse 34, talking about food with his disciples. Here's what Jesus says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I did not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John six thirty-eight. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I still see these bracelets occasionally, but the WWJD bracelets. My kids asked me one time, would Jesus wear a WWJD bracelet? What would Jesus do? And I said, no, he would wear a WWID bracelet. What would I do? (laughs) What would Jesus do? Jesus consistently obeyed the Father. Everything that Jesus did, whether it was healing someone or walking on water or teaching the multitude or dying on the cross, he had really one thing in mind, to bring glory to the Father. Folks, that's our example. And folks, when you get that mindset, then understanding that other people are not in your position yet, there's some weakness in them, becomes far less of an issue. It's been written in other in earlier times for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. Let me move to the second point. Then these next two verses, verses 5 and 6, our purpose is to glorify God. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God, the God, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what's the purpose, what's your purpose, and what's the purpose of church anyway? The purpose of church is not just so you have a name to put on your softball jersey. You're saying, is there something wrong with softball? Maybe not. (laughs) But that's not why church was created. It's not just a place to take your children and drop them off. It's not just a place to go before lunch on Sunday. What's the purpose of church? Let me start by asking this question. What's your purpose? I ate in a restaurant in the upstate of South Carolina. I don't know why I'm using food illustrations, and both of them happen near Greenville. 
But I was sitting there, and the guy waiting on my table was the biggest waiter I'd ever seen. I'm pretty sure he's a professional wrestler. Just huge. And he was one of those deals. He had all those little pins all over his apron, and one of them said, Ask me about my purpose. And so I had to do it. I said, What's your purpose? Here's what he did. My purpose is that you have the best dining experience of your life. And I couldn't help it. He's bigger than me, but I just laughed. I mean, I'm thinking, dude, if that's your purpose, you need to get a life. Because I just got to tell you, the rest of the world really doesn't care whether I enjoy this meal or not. The kingdom of God is not shaken by whether my burger is cooked right. Listen, if your purpose is that we have a good dining experience, get a life. And let me say this to pastors and leaders in the church. If your purpose is that everybody's happy, it won't ever happen. What's the purpose of the church? And it really starts back with me. If my purpose is singularly focused on bringing glory to God, and your purpose is singularly focused on bringing glory to God, you know what? We can disagree on whether the carpet's one color or the music's this particular style. Now, you know, there may be things happening in the church that you just need to say, that's not bringing glory to God when you quit it. But if your purpose is to glorify God, you know what? Disunity becomes far less of an issue. Paul says, may God, and this is kind of a prayer right here in the middle of this passage. Paul prays a couple of verses May God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you the same mind. Now, does that mean that Paul's praying that we will all think alike? No, because Paul talks elsewhere about the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. Understanding that we're different. And I may have a like that you don't have. My taste may be a little different than yours. But if my purpose is to glorify God, then I can, as he says, with one accord, with one voice. You ever heard a choir that just really does it well? There could be a hundred people in that choir. And they sing as though they've got one voice. There's harmony. There's unity. Listen, just let a hundred random people show up and stick them in the choir loft and get them to sing. It isn't going to sound good. It's going to be like the outtakes from American Idol. You know, you ever wonder, why do they show those people? Because it's entertaining. But when a choir sings with one voice, it's beautiful. And listen, that's what the church ought to be. We ought to be with one, one voice glorifying, into the passage, glorifying God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your biggest purpose is to please God, to glorify Him, to shine the light on Him. The word glory or glorify means this. It means the honor resulting from a good opinion. In fact, the word at the root really really has a lot to do with estimate or opinion. Do you realize the way you live your life tells your opinion of God every day of your life? Not just on Sundays at 11 o'clock, but every day of your life, you're glorifying God. You're, you're giving your opinion of God, and it should be one of honor. Last our obedience then bears fruit. 7 through the first part of 9. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. 
and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Let me just end with that few verses. Here's what happens when with one voice and with one heart, with one passion, we're seeking to bring glory to God. You accept one another. Again, not that you're compromising the truth, but you're accepting one another. The word literally means to take to yourself. You're receiving other people that are different than you. And just in case you're struggling with that, the next thing Paul says is, here's how you ought to accept them, just like Christ has accepted you. Have you ever allowed this thought just to sink in? You weren't any great prize. How did Christ accept you? Just as you were. When I came to Christ, I came as a sinner. I didn't have my act together because I couldn't apart from Christ. And here's the good news. God loved me enough not only to save me, but he loved me enough not to leave me the way I was when I came to him. One of the things that God began doing in my life after salvation was a thing, big theological word, called sanctification. He's in the process of transforming me from what I used to be to the image of Christ, to being like his son. The day I came to Christ, my eternity became secure, salvation. But he's begun a work in me that he's promised to complete. Now, what I've got to remember is when I struggle accepting other people, when I struggle just getting along with other people in the church, listen, some churches are full of miserable people, and they're hard to get along with sometimes. I have to constantly remind myself, God, I once was a miserable person myself. And according to the testimony of some, I still am. (laughs) All right? Depends on who you ask. Just how miserable is he? I'm still growing. God's still at work with me. So how about we have that attitude about other people? Listen, I'm going to accept you not based on your performance now. I'm accepting you based on what God's done in my life and the constant realization that I have that God's not finished with me. And so instead of allowing my differences, instead of allowing the things that we argue about to become the thing that defines the church, I'm going to get on with glorifying God. I can't control whether somebody else brings glory to God or not, but I can control me. So, folks, if you want to have a church that's unified, that's bringing glory to God, it starts with you. Don't wait to find the perfect church. I've heard people say that. I'm just looking for the perfect church. Well, if you find it and join it, it won't be perfect anymore because you're there. Here's the attitude we ought to have, folks. Listen. Jesus Christ accepted me as a sinner, very much imperfect. Everything I did was wrong. And he's in the process of changing me so that one day I'm presented to the Father approved. Christ became a servant to the circumcision, literally to the Jew. He came to demonstrate the fulfillment of the promises The Jews had been looking for the Messiah that most looked at Christ and thought he doesn't fit what we think, the Bible says. And yet, in the Old Testament, he fit everything that the Old Testament promised was coming. To the Gentiles, it wasn't so much about the Old Testament because they hadn't read it. It's, It's that he came as a servant to the circumcision. He also came so that the Gentiles could glorify God for his mercy. What does mercy mean? It means receiving, not receiving what you deserve. What do we deserve? Paul's already said it. Romans 3, 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Here's where the mercy and grace comes in. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, help us to get that. God, we have watched and heard the gospel unpacked in the book of Romans. We've seen what you have done. God, we deserved none of it. But because you loved us, you demonstrated that. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross. So that through him, I could have eternal life. Father, thank you for that. Now, God, help that make a difference in my life. God, one of the demonstrations that you really are my Lord and Savior is it's going to affect the way I treat other people. And so, God, I pray for myself, but I pray on behalf of others here. And, Lord, for churches represented here. That, God, we would see the church in America and around the world be unified with one purpose, and that is, above all else, to bring glory to God. And, God, as that happens, would you draw people to yourself? pray this in Jesus' name.